Welcome to Eurodollar University with Jeff Snyder. My name is Emil Kalinowski. We're recording this on the 16th of June. And on the 15th of June, the Federal Reserve Chairman and the FOMC raised interest rates. I can't even say that with a straight face. They raised a policy rate, a range, by 75 basis points. And this is supposed to propagate throughout the wider economy. Jeff, the day before, almost insultingly, contemptuously, almost contemptuously, the euro dollar futures market moved one quarter closer into the now, the reverent white, is it packet or bundle? Packet. Packs. Yes, into the white pack, Jeff, meaning that the euro dollar market, futures market, this deep, sophisticated market is more certain that something bad is going to happen sooner than later and that the Fed will likely be reversing rates. So the day before the Fed raised rates, the market said, wow, we're even more confident than ever. You're going to be cutting them soon. Yeah, it's amazing. And it, as we say, you know, breaking it down by packs, breaking it down by color bundles, uh, as we talked about many times on the show before, you can go back and, and, and review previous episodes for the details. The whites and the reds, which are the eight quarterly contracts closest to now, which are supposed to really be all about monetary policy. If Jay Powell says we're going to aggressively hike rates up to around 4% by 2024, we would expect the whites and the reds under normal conditions to essentially say yes. The biggest risk to our massively leveraged, huge, gigantic portfolios is the Fed raising rates because in the short run, that's really the big elephant in the room. So whites and reds are about hedging against the big elephant in the room, which is the Fed, unless another even larger, heftier, smellier, stinkier elephant happens to, to shove its way into the same room. And then we ignore the Fed and look at and price and hedge against this other elephant, which is what we've seen for the last several months when the inversion of the euro dollar futures curve first spread into the reds which was already an alarming warning sign that, hey, something is so something's starting to really go wrong here, that the market is thinking, number one, that the chances of this thing happening are getting too uncomfortably high. And as the inversion spreads up the curve further and further into the reds toward the white, that is the market also saying, not only is this thing more likely than ever to happen, it's more likely than, than ever to happen sooner than later. So the inversion spreading, the retching cat, Emil's a retching cat image here. As the inversion spread up into the reds and then the whites, we are thinking, of course, what that means. The interpretation is that, yes, not only is the market even more certain, in fact, it, it suggests that the market has moved on from the question of if and made it entirely a question of when. And as you pointed out, Emil, over the last couple of days, We've now got inversion into the whites, especially as the June 2022 contract went off the board. The colors all shifted. Now we've got solid inversion in the whites. And yesterday at times, we even had the uh, December 2022 contract come within range of the March 2023. They didn't invert, but it got down to around five or six basis points intraday, which is totally not what the Fed is thinking. The Fed is thinking, we're going to raise rates until 2024 to get a handle on uh, inflation. And then we'll let rates moderate a little bit to their long run average, which they believe around two, two and a half percent, maybe three percent. The market is not thinking that at all. The market is saying, no, Jay Powell, you'll be lucky if you get that far. And it looks increasingly likely that 
you're going to have to turn around and start reducing rates sooner than even maybe 2023. As the inversion spreads into the whites, that's the message this deep, sophisticated market is sending because this is the these massive leverage fixed income financial monetary players who are hedging and nobody's taking the other side of these hedges, at least not enough to take to move these hedges into a more normal curve position. So the market is telling you consensus view that whatever's bad is probably going to happen now and it's going to happen sooner rather than later, regardless of what the Fed thinks it's going to be able to do. That's what inversion in the reds and the, the reds and now the whites means that the market is no longer pricing these for these front two color contracts based entirely on the Fed. It's now looking at other factors that are going to influence the Fed in a way the Fed doesn't currently foresee. That for the audience members who want to read about this in more detail, they can find that at your blog uh, at the Alhambra Investments website on the 14th of June, you posted there. And the title was More Data and Markets to the Idea Something Big Changed a Couple of Months Ago. Another article you wrote was Curve Inversion 101. We've done this before. We've talked about the curve inversion. It's related to the other article that you also wrote, Update the Conflict of Interest Rates. Jeff, can you talk about the conflict of interest rates? I'm looking at the yield curve right now, and I see that the 10-year is at 3.33. That means it has inverted. It is lower than the 7-year, the 5-year, the 3-year but not the two-year, the one-year, and earlier time period. So what is the conflict of interest rates that is taking place? It's basically what I just said about Eurodollar futures, where the yield, the treasury curve, like the Eurodollar futures curve, the front parts of those are, reflect, are, are, are pricing and hedging based upon the primary risks as they see them, which is normally it's front end of the curve. You, you own a two-year treasury, you're a leverage player with a two-year treasury, you're thinking over the two years, I'm going to hold this treasury. What are the alternates I can get along the way? If you think the Fed's going to raise rates and that's going to influence other money market rates like LIBOR or perhaps the repo rates that's included in SOFR, then you're going to say, I don't want to own a two-year treasury because I can get a higher rate of lending and repo, for example. So front end of the yield curve, most of the time reflects what the Fed is going to do or what the market thinks the Fed's going to be able to do. Whereas you get further down the yield curve, like the Eurodollar futures curve, interest rates and bond yields become more independent based upon largely growth and inflation expectations. A big part of that, of course, monetary conditions, which obviously will have an impact on growth and inflation outcomes over the long run. So if we're seeing, if the market is seeing tightened money, high levels of collateral shortage, collateral disruptions, that's going to go into the longer end of the yield curve which leads to inversion in the more extreme cases, which is nearly the market saying the Fed's going to do one thing, but over time we expect something else to happen. And by the way, checking on the market today, look at where the four-year treasury bill yield is. Uh, the Fed just raised its interest rates, including IOER, including the RRP floor by 75 basis points, which means effective today, RRP should be 155 basis points or 1.55%. IOER is, is what, 10 basis points above that, 165. And yet the four-week treasury bill, the yield on that is down almost 10 basis points today at only around 1.03. Wow. It's enormously below where RRP and IOER is currently, 
which is an indication, again, reflection of the back end of the yield curve, inversion, collateral scarcity, collateral tightness, which is a deflationary monetary symptom that over the long run is going to produce deflationary monetary symptoms, less growth, less inflation, therefore the inversion in the yield curve, which we marry that with euro dollar futures, which tells us that this thing, this monetary, this deflationary money that we're seeing is likely to have immediate impacts, uh, increasingly likely to have an immediate impact in the near term future. You initially said four year, then corrected yourself and said four weeks. So just for the audience, in case anyone's confused, you meant four weeks. The eight week, the two month yield is 1.45, Jeff, and the three month, 1.6. Which is, you know, less than IOER. So the almost the entire front end of the the bill curve, you're right, treasury bills, which are 12 month and less maturity. So the four week, the eight week and the three month, they're all less than IOER. And then the 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 four week and eight week are less than RRP, two, And the four week is ridiculously less than RRP, which can only be a demand for collateral because there's no other reason on this earth that anybody would lend at less than RRP unless there was some other utility for the instrument that is treasury bills. And we know what treasury bills are used for. For our new audience members, collateral is another kind of money in the main big global commodity or global economic system, financial system. It's another form of money. So there's a money shortage, a dollar shortage. Okay. And we would, I think, I don't know how to put words in your mouth, but I think we would both argue that in, in certain circumstances like these, collateral is more money. Yes. Yes. Collateral the, is more currency, more effective currency than anything else. Agreed. Agreed. Jeff, the inversion that we're discussing in the euro dollar's future curve, if first began to take shape in a particular month in October, in mid October, and in an article, titled Globally Synchronized Last October, Not Some Far Distant Future Risk, you have a nice chart that shows August, September, late September, early October, and late October euro dollar futures curve. And you see, you show that it's been rising both at the short end and at the long end, each of those steps until we get to the late October period. And between the early October and late October, what we see is that the short end rose, but the long end didn't. The long end remains stuck, meaning something in October spooked the euro dollar futures market regarding the long-term expectations of short-term interest rates. And October is one of several steps down this path towards recession that we're heading towards. The first step down was February 2021. Then May 2021, the next one was October 2021, December 2021, and then the big, another big one, March 2022. But you wanted to write about October. Tell the audience why. What did you want to convey to them? Well, as you mentioned, there were February and May of last year, so 2021, we had some incidents happen where the market kind of took notice of it and said, you know what? If this continues like this, this could be maybe possibly not good down the road. And so you had this first sort of, sort of nebulous, ephemeral sense that maybe possibly something could go wrong. It's nothing specific. It's nothing that's visible. It's nothing that's immediate. 
But it's just, you know, this this bad feeling that, you know, something it, these things are starting to go in the wrong way, not the right way. And by, by the way, it would include inflation in that. This The market was saying this is not inflation and that if historically speaking, it follows the same template as past supply shocks, we should expect something less than growth and inflation down the road. But at that time, the initial stage was sort of just this general feeling of unease. That all changed in October. And again, as you pointed out, Emil, euro dollar futures curve going from upward sloping, beautiful. Hey, everything seems okay as far as three month LIBOR in the near intermediate term picture to wait a minute here. It was almost like a categorical change in behavior where you had upward sloping, suddenly it went flat, which it never really should have gone flat, especially in a period where the Fed was openly saying, we're going to start hiking rates. They weren't as aggressive back in October as they are today, obviously, but the market was told to expect rising interest rates into the near future. And here you have early October, euro dollar futures building atop of that general feeling of unease previously, saying that this is more than a general sense of something wrong. This is really starting to happen. There are things that we can see that the public can't see inside the system. There are outcomes and, and uh, there are processes underway that are making the market start to hedge against those things that uh, prior to them were just sort of a general sense of unease becoming more and more of a concrete worry to hedge against. Jeff, two more articles that you wrote during the last week when we have been off the air. The first one's called Prices as Curative Punishment. And the other one, it's not nothing, it's everything, including crypto, where there you talked about the exchange rates against crypto, against the dollar, against different currencies. What would you like to draw from these two articles or anything else that comes top of mind that we haven't covered yet? Why is all this happening? What is the reason? What are we actually seeing here? And one of the reasons I wanted to focus, the primary reason I wanted to focus on particularly the October inflection is because back in October, the world seemed to be a very different place. Nowadays, we have recession being widely talked about openly in the mainstream media as if it's a product of the Fed's rate hikes, as if it's a product of the Russian war in Ukraine or something like that. In other words, we're looking at the possible recession that we're facing, not just the US, but the world economy is, in face is facing as if Paul Volcker did it, as if it was all based upon Russian aggression when it's simply not the case, because we can go back to October and before, but really October is when the market started to take this seriously. And the world was in a very different place back in October. And the market forecast exactly what we see ahead of us. In fact, what we're seeing now more and more immediately ahead of us, because it wasn't the Fed. It wasn't Russia. It wasn't Delta and Omicron and pandemic and COVID and whatever other excuses. It wasn't trade wars. It wasn't subprime mortgages. It wasn't any of these other things that we that, that have been offered as excuses for these repeated periods of economic weakness that are entirely predictable when you actually look at these markets. And the markets have been telling you all along, it's not coincidence that the yield curve shifted. February 24th, 2021, that was the day Fedwire broke. It was a monetary issue that triggered a, de a dealer response the following day and a treasury auction. The world was reminded that the monetary system is not chock full overflowing of actual effective money. There may be trillions of bank reserves, but those are two very different things. The monetary system is broken. It's fragile. It's suffering from repeated collateral shortfalls, deficits, scrambles, shortages, runs, everything. 
The market has been saying for a very long time that this is the likely outcome because everything that you've been told about inflation, everything you've been told about the Fed's balance sheet, even the federal government's helicopters has been wrong. This has been a tight money period where the economy has never recovered. And the market was increasingly sure about that, including the inevitable outcome of tight money, especially since early October. Everything shows up early October. And ever since then, it's only gone more and more and more in that same direction, never deviating, never changing. Market's only more sure that it's going to happen and that more increasingly confident that it's likely to happen sooner than later. You're being generous, Jeff. Because it's clear, Am I? That, well, <laughs> I didn't mean to be early October, but I would say it was clear since February 2021. Yeah. Let's say, yeah, since February, you could see there was an inflection. Something had changed, and it only accumulated since then. So it was even eight months before. I think it's you know, Emil. Yes. It, yeah, it's it's the level to me. October stands out because it's the level of certainty. Mm. It's the level of probability. So before October, the market was sort of like, yeah, we expect it to happen, but you know. It's not necessarily it's not necessarily given. It's not necessarily, you know, past the beyond the point of no return. So maybe that's the the right way to characterize October. October maybe was the the point of no return where the market said, Mm. you know, the economy, the monetary system is not developing the way it should. And this has gone on far enough. So from October on, the markets have been on high alert. And of course, that alert has only been you know, proven correct, one escalating factor after another after another, as well as more and more certitude across these markets and, you know, inversions, flattening, everything else. I'm picturing the market sitting at a poker table and in February taking some chips off, in May 2021 taking some chips off, and then in October taking whole armfuls off and some sort of panic (laughs) from... uh, from Ocean's Eleven, some Ocean's Eleven scene is taking place out in the casino floor and the, they're grabbing their chips and uh, dumping them into their hats or their purse or whatever. And they're going for a run ever since then. And I can't I don't know. How would, March was. Yeah. How do we describe would, March? I think would, March, I think I would characterize it by the movie Trading Places during the Orange Futures crash. Where it's, you know, <laughs> yes, okay. uh, turn those machines back on. Yeah. Get everything, get I think that's. That's that's exactly what it was. You know, you had this mild po- poker game where the dealers in particular were a little bit nervous about participating. And so up until October last year, as you said, they just they took a little bit of chips off the table. And then October, they started raking the chips off the table. And then March, they're like, we got to get the hell out of the casino all, t- all together while we can. That's right. They've got the chips in their in their breasts, holding them. <laughs> and they don't care that some of the chips are now falling yeah, off. They're, they're falling. running to the window at this point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we've all been there, huh? I, and that's exactly the, the funny thing. It's not, it's, it's kind of funny, but it's really not, right? It, oh, it's yeah. because that's this true. is, in some ways, this is really tragic. Yes. Number one, that it's been entirely predictable. The market has been, has been predictable about all this, but it's understandable why people think the other way. Because, first of all, how many times have we been told you can't trust the bond market because the Fed buys bonds or something? Mm. Um, mm. People excusing euro dollar futures as nothing more than hedging as if that's not some kind of important part of the financial architecture. Any number of things, uh, economic confusion, the price illusion, thinking that the CPI is somehow representative of the actual economic circumstances and the underlying background behind it. Any number of things that for, you know, by and large, the public is just left out in the dark. 
Yeah, that is the tragic part. Now I'm thinking of another movie. The uh, the what is it? The sh the great no, the Big Short, where the kids were very happy, and then Brad Pitt had to tell them, "If you guys are right, then this is going to affect lots of people." All right, very poignant. Thank you very much, Jeff. We'll do it again next week. All right, Emil, take care. 